is up? It's The Rant. My name is Jeff Rackham, and it is Monday, July 6th. Man, the 4th of July is in the rearview mirror. Hopefully you had a good holiday there, but you know what this means. This is always the line in the sand. Back in the day, before I was in the industry, before I really paid attention to Football 365, this was always the time for me. We hit the 4th of July, and I said, all right, it's go time. It is time to start researching because we are a month and a half away from fantasy football draft season. Exciting times indeed. And the preview series, the team preview series rolls on today. We're going to talk about, well, it's an NFC North special, the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. So let's start with the Lions. And I got to tell you, I pretty much, like you maybe, had written off Matthew Stafford heading into last year. He was really trending down. I mean, he wasn't the guy that we saw earlier in his career. And really, it, was, it wasn't the same offense. Of course, not having Calvin Johnson, you know, that changes things a little bit. But he's got another guy who's got some similarities to uh, Calvin Johnson, for sure, on that roster right now in Kenny Galladay. But regardless, I wrote him off. I didn't really expect much from him. And then what we saw out of Stafford was pretty darn impressive. He ends up playing in eight games last season over those first nine weeks of the season and only twice outside of the top 15 at the position. And really, like, listen to these fantasy finishes. Week one, fourth. Week two, 13th, three, 27th. But then week four, fifth. Then 21st. Then second, sixth, and fourth. So really impressive there. And over the first nine weeks of the season, He was fifth at the position in fantasy scoring. That was the Matthew Stafford we used to know. Of course, the injury was untimely, and, you know, obviously that didn't work well for anybody who ended up very likely picking up Matthew Stafford because he wasn't drafted in most regular-sized leagues. Regardless, he's going to be good to go, and I fully expect him to pick right up where he left off. And when you think about this offense, when you think about the weapons that he has at his disposal, he has Galladay, he has Marvin Jones when healthy, who Marvin Jones gives him a very big-time upside red zone target. I'll talk about those guys in a little bit. Danny Amendola, solid enough. I mean, the team adds Geronimo Allison in the offseason. They draft Quintez Cephas, who is an interesting young wide receiver, could very well be their number five. They have TJ Hawkinson, who I fully expect to take another step forward this year. And then they have DeAndre Swift, who can catch the ball out of the backfield, along with Kerryon Johnson in the backfield doing a little bit of that, too. Those are some nice weapons. I mean, is it the best group of skill position players in the league? No, it isn't. But it's not not bad. That's not a bad group of weapons right there. So that helps Matty Stafford for sure. I think it's completely fair to consider him a top 12 option. That's exactly where I have him ranked right now at 12. Really, I mean, you know, we could see him, you know, easily top 4,000 passing yards this year. We could easily see him throw 25 touchdowns or 25 plus touchdowns. If he does that, he's going to be knocking on, you know, QB1 territory. And the thing about it, though, you know, you would think that maybe people weren't wise to this. Everybody's so sharp today. You know, even even the worst drafters kind of know a little bit. And right now, ADP wise, Stafford. And people who are drafting right now are not the worst drafters. But ADP-wise, he's going as the 13th quarterback. So you're not going to get him at a discount, but you still may end up getting him into the late rounds. Remember, the late rounds really, for me, start at round 10. If you get him after round 10, not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. And I talked about those receivers, so let's dive in. 
Kenny Galladay coming off of really the breakout year that we were hoping to see out of him last year. I mean, he gives you that big body presence, the red zone presence, uh, a double-digit touchdown season, tied for the league lead with uh, 11 receiving touchdowns, 18.3 yards per catch, 16.2 yards downfield for his A dot. I mean, he really checks so many boxes. Now, let's be clear. Higher ADOC guys do come with more volatility. We know that. Let's just get that out of the way right now. So while Kenny Galladay has weeks where he could legit be the number one receiver in fantasy, he's going to have weeks where he's outside of the top 30. He's not going to be massive, massive Michael Thomas high floor. That's just that's just not what he is. And I think you know if you draft him inside of the top 10 fantasy receivers, I have him at eight right now then you just have to be expecting that. By the way, he finished ninth last year, so he's already done it once. It's completely reasonable to consider him inside of that top 10. His current ADP actually is the seventh wide out off the board. Now, Marvin Jones, unlike Galladay, so you're not going to get any any value with Galladay. Marvin Jones is going to offer you some value because he's one of those guys every year it feels like you get you get him at a discount. And the discount in part is because of the injuries. I mean, last year he played 13 games. The year before, and it was down the stretch when he got banged up and then he missed the final three weeks of the season. The year before, he played nine games, and it was very similar down the stretch, although it was a little bit earlier in the season. Week 11 on is what he missed the year before. But what do we see from him when he's on the field? We see a guy who has enormous touchdown upside. We see a guy who like Galladay, could be the number one fantasy receiver any given week, and he was last year. In week seven, he was. He Remember, he went bonkers in week seven. The year before, he was the number two receiver in week eight. The year before that, he was the number two receiver in week nine. He has an elite ceiling. The problem is his floor is, is lower than Galladay's. And the pendulum has shifted for a little while there at the very beginning of Galladay's career when Jones you know, was in the mix there too. It was Jones was kind of the guy who was getting just a tiny bit more of the target share. It shifted. Now he's getting less. Uh, it's certainly Galladay's show. But Marvin Jones, I would be confident in my ranking. I am confident in my ranking of him as a top 36 fantasy receiver. I have him currently at 34. He's going in a lot of drafts. I mean, recently I saw him go as the 40th receiver off the board. His current ADP is the 39th receiver off the board. So you're getting a solid little bit, little sliver of value there of a round to a round and a half. Now, there are people like me, though, who realize that you know the upside is appealing when you're drafting a guy. I mean, right now... Where where are you typically seeing Marvin Jones go? I mean, his ADP, that puts him around the, the 90th player, give or take, off the board. That's a mid-eighth round pick. There are a lot of people out there who, like me, see that and they say, that's a value. You know, that's a value. So just keep that in mind, though. You're you're getting a, a little bit, a little chunk of value on him. I mentioned TJ Hawkinson. I love TJ Hawkinson. I loved what he did <laughs> To start the season last year, I don't like what he did from there on out. And of course, he ended the season uh, injured, but uh, he had that. He was the number two fantasy or fantasy tight end, that is, in week one. 
It was pretty awesome. And then from there, not so much. It was six catches for 131 yards. Remember that? Came Storm out of the gate, and I was like, this the guy. Well, he can still be the guy. He's still so young, too. He's 22 years old right now. Is this a position that takes a long time? Even for a premium first-round pick that he was, it's going to take a while. But I do expect him to take a step forward this year. The problem that I have with Hawkinson, and the reason why I've found that I'm I'm, I'm not winding up with a lot of shares of him, is that he still has buzz, you know, from a fantasy draft standpoint. He's still a guy who people are targeting. And right where they're targeting him, which you know is right at the beginning of the late rounds, it's a little early, a little rich for my blood, given the fact that he's going to have to face some pretty good defenses multiple times. He has to face Minnesota twice this year. They're, they're really tough on tight ends. Green Bay can be tough on tight ends. So it's not exactly the best schedule, but I'm only using that to discount him just slightly. The backfield's really intriguing. Carry on Johnson... As a guy who owns a bunch of on Johnson in Dynasty, I was not excited that this team drafted DeAndre Swift. And I was not excited for DeAndre Swift as well. DeAndre Swift was my number two running back heading into the draft. He is no longer my number two running back. Uh, he is currently my number four running back among rookies. And that's among rookies. My number, He was my number two heading into the draft, then afterwards... Uh, bumped him down a bit. I ended up putting Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who I had at three before the draft now, obviously, ahead of him. And I ended up putting Cam Akers ahead of him as well because Cam Akers is just in a better spot, a clearer path to touches. You know, you look at what DeAndre Swift can do. He can contribute in the passing game, which is where I think he'll contribute more in the passing game than on Johnson. But he can also do a little bit in the run game for sure. He's not just a passing game specialist. In fact, currently, I have him... I actually have him ahead of Carryon Johnson in uh, in terms of carries. I'm at 182 carries. I have Carryon Johnson 165. It's a full blown committee right there. But Swift for me is the preferred guy. It's unfortunate, like I said, as a Carryon owner in a lot of dynasty leagues, I would I, I didn't really love this, but uh, I'm not going to use that inform- I'm not going to let that sway my <laughs> my projections. The simple fact of the matter is a team doesn't draft a running back with Swift's uh, pedigree if they don't plan on using him. You know, on day two, that is. They drafted, you know, teams that draft running backs on day three, I don't really put that much stock into it. But if you're drafting a guy on day two or especially on day one, you are using that guy. So Swift is the preferred guy for me. I'm not going to go as far as saying he's an RB2, but I have him right on the edge. He's ranked 25 in my rankings right now. So right on the edge of RB2 territory, and he's got the upside. Now, the question is, can you get him in the right range? I'm comfortable with DeAndre Swift in the sixth round. And I think that's a really nice spot to look for that you know, rookie running back upside. Is there enough momentum that pushes him up higher by the time that we, we get to fantasy draft season? That certainly could happen. He's right, he's right in that range right now of fifth or sixth round. I'm not going to take him in the fifth round. I will take him in the sixth round. So that's where we stand on him. Uh, Anyway, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is there, and he's coming off a disappointing season. And it's weird how we view things in fantasy, right? Aaron Rodgers is coming off a disappointing season where he helped his team to a 13-3 record. I'm not going to give him all the credit for that. But he helped his team to a 13-3 record, which is not easy to do. 
he had basically no help in the receiving game and he was you know he was about as volatile as they come for sure it was a roller coaster he was number one fantasy quarterback in week seven number two in week four number two in week 13 number three in week eight he was also outside of the top 20 outside of the top 29 times it was a roller coaster but he's still Aaron Rodgers and I know there are people out there who say he's not a lead anymore whatever whatever yeah cool your tweet got likes I'm not I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole. What I'm going to say is this. Last year was disappointing for Aaron Rodgers. Certainly have seen a decline in his touchdown production. He's never been a high yardage guy. But we did see a, a decline in the touchdown efficiency. That being said, Aaron Jones was off the charts efficient as a runner, especially in the touchdown department, scoring 16 rushing touchdowns. We could see a little bit of a shift there. We could see a and I don't even mean a significant regression where Aaron Jones scores two rushing touchdowns. Maybe he scores nine or ten. Well, nine or ten is now six or seven fewer than he scored on the ground. And let's say they shift over to the passing game. Now Aaron Rodgers goes from a 25-26 touchdown guy to a 30-32 to touchdown guy. Goes from a guy who you really couldn't trust from a consistency standpoint week in and week out to now a guy who you're just fine with. And the beauty is, hey, recency bias, people only care about what happened most recently in fantasy football. During the season, it's what happened last week. And when you're in fantasy draft season, it's what happened last year. Because of this perception, Aaron Rodgers is going as the 12th quarterback off the board. I think that's fine. That's exactly where I'm ranking him, right in that range. I have him at 13 because I have Stafford a tick ahead of him. But honestly... Is there a difference between these two for me for fantasy purposes? No. They're basically a coin flip. So one day I may have Rodgers ahead and one day I may have Stafford ahead. And if I'm choosing between the two of them in best ball, 50% of the time I'm taking one and 50% of the time I'm taking the other to balance out my exposure. Anyway, when was the last time you could get Aaron Rodgers this late? I don't even care if you don't like him. You're you're taking Aaron Rodgers right now. His ADP is uh, 106. Okay, 106 puts you in the late nights or basically the 910 turn. The 910 turn is 108, 109. When could you ever get Aaron Rodgers in the late rounds? If he's there, and especially if you're in a league where people are that, you know, I'm not going to draft him. He may fall just a little too far. I'm absolutely pouncing. I have no hesitation there. Now, I'm not going to only draft Aaron Rodgers. I'm probably going to – he would be my quote-unquote safer option, and then I'd go for a guy who I can swing for the fences with. But you're kind of swinging for the fences with Rodgers as well. I mentioned the wide receivers, though, and this is the unfortunate thing. And Packers fans, I'm sorry they did not take a wide out in the draft. So your wide receivers currently are Devontae Adams, stud. Alan Lazard did a nice job last year, not a stud. Devin Funches, I think we know what he is at this point in his career. Jake Kumaro, I like Jake Kumaro, but we know what Jake Kumaro is as well. MVS and Equinemius St. Brown, these are currently the guys I'm projecting on this roster. In other words, there's no competition for Devontae Adams. I have Devontae Adams projected for 92 catches. And I talked earlier in this series, I think it was about Julio Jones, Projecting guys over 90 catches is massive because think about it. Projections are always going to be conservative because they're averages. So this is an enormous number. 
And the thing about it, as I just mentioned, the touchdown regression thing, like if it happens to Jones, the ripple effect, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The reaction would be potentially more passing scores, and that would mean potentially more receiving scores for Devontae Adams. This is a guy earlier in his career was basically like you inked him in for double-digit touchdowns, and then it didn't happen last year. Now, granted, he was hurt. But even if he had played the whole season, he really wasn't on pace for double digits. He scored five in 12 games. Maybe we see that uptick, and then all of a sudden, man, this dude is you know right there with Michael Thomas, potentially. I have him as my number two receiver. Adams is a rock star. I, I'm comfortable taking Adams as early as 1-7. That's how, that's how confident I am in him. At tight end, hey, Jay Sternberger... The floor is yours, man. You're up. And I don't think, you know, what I think Jay Sternberger is going to be is another three for 32 guy. He's going to be a guy where there's going to be a couple weeks where he goes three catches for 32, 33, 34 yards and a touchdown, and he'll be a top 10 fantasy tight end. And then most weeks he won't do that. So just keep that in mind. I'm not drafting him. I, right now, I would say I think in a 12-team league, we can expect about 18, as many as 20 tight ends. So currently, Blake Jarwin is my number 20 tight end. That's about as far down as I would go. I'm not drafting Irv Smith. I'm not drafting Jay Sternberger at 23. I'm not drafting Greg Olson, Ian Thomas. Guys like that, they're a little bit too far down the list for me. But when you think about those guys, I mean, they are going to be streamer-worthy potentially at various points in the season. So just consider that uh, with with Jay Sternberger. Let's talk about these running backs, though, because Aaron Jones talked about the touchdown produ- productivity. I am, pro- I mean, he still projects pretty well. I'm projecting him at 910 rushing yards, 10 and a half rushing touchdowns, and yeah, I know you can't score a half rushing touchdown. That just means you have a 50% chance of scoring another one. That's what that half means. Anyway, uh, 45 uh, catches and 306 receiving yards with an additional two touchdowns as a receiver. That would put him as a top 10 guy. Now, the thing about Jones, though, and, and remember, projections are my starting spot, but rankings are my end point. I moved Jones down two spots. So he projects at number eight. I moved him down to number 10. The reason for that is a slight bit of volatility that he has, but it's also more the spidey sense of the team. All along, regardless of who's been the head coach, who's been in charge of that team, we've found the team has found reasons to hold Aaron Jones back. Now, mostly that reason has been Jamal Williams, but now I don't know why they drafted A.J. Dillon. Maybe, I mean, there's a narrative out there that Matt LaFleur wants his his Derrick Henry type, which... A.J. Dillon is not Derrick Henry, but he's also a specimen of a human being. I mean, he's six foot one, 247 pounds, and he does not look it. He is just solid muscle. He's a big dude, and he's not going to make you miss, but he could run you over. So there's a theory out there that that LaFleur wants, wants that in Green Bay. We'll see, but the thing about it is I do think they get Dillon involved in year one. I still have Jamal Williams ahead of him in the carry pecking order. I think that if Aaron Jones goes down, Jamal Williams is still the handcuff, but it takes just a little bit of work off of Jones' plate, and it's a, that's my worry here. Now, there is also an alternate school of thought that says this is the last year of Jones' contract, so they're going to run him into the ground. 
I could see that happening, but for me, I, I don't know. I'm just it's one of those things where I'm just nervous enough that I moved him down slightly on my board. I'm not gonna overreact. I'm not gonna say, oh no, I'm not I'm never going to take him. But I'll tell you what, where I have him on my board almost prices me out of him. Right now I have him at 17 overall on my board. Uh, he is currently going, well, he's currently going 15 in ADP. So I'm close to pricing myself out of him. And sometimes that happens. And that's not the worst thing in the world. I do have a I do have some shares of him in best ball, and I'm I'm happy with that. I don't want to go overboard with my exposure, but I do have a little bit in case my spidey senses are wrong, which they've been known to be. But just giving you my, you know, my full take on this backfield, a little weird that they took uh, A.G. Dillon, especially when you think they had this huge need at wideout. And there were wideouts on the board. This was a deep wideout class. And they sort of reached for Dillon. Anyway, there you go. Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions in the books here. So coming up on the next show in this series, we're going to talk about the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts. So we'll talk a little Houston post DeAndre Hopkins. Is there any fantasy hope for David Johnson? Uh, the you know Deshaun Watson. How does he fare without Hopkins there? Then of course diving into Indy and Phil Rivers under center. That's going to be interesting. They drafted a running back in Jonathan Taylor. How do we sift through that backfield? What about these wide receivers? They drafted a wide receiver. In Michael Pittman Jr., you have T.Y. Hilton there getting a little long in the tooth, though. So we'll unpack all of that for you on the show tomorrow. I really appreciate everyone who has gone and reviewed the show on iTunes. If you haven't already, please do that for me. Rate the show. Give it a review. It takes two minutes. Not even. It takes two seconds. And uh, you'll be done, and you help me out, and that's a good thing because the more you help me out, the more we can do on this podcast. Follow along on Twitter at Jeff Ratcliffe and on Instagram at Jeff Ratcliffe and use the hashtag Rat Pack. That way I know you're a listener of the show. All right, I'll catch you on the flip side for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out of here.